tradition. Now, I heard this story once of a, a family, and uh, they would cook a family ham every year, and it was, you know, that time for a special holiday meal, and the young girl was there, and mom was cooking the ham, and she took the end off one end of the ham, and she took the end off the other end of the ham, and she put it in the roaster and put it in the oven. And the little the young girl said to the mother, well, why did we cut the ends off the ham? And the mother said, uh, it's just our tradition, we do that. And well, why do we do that? Well, I don't know, let's ask Grandma. So they called up Grandma and they're asking Grandma, Grandma, why, you know, I, I saw you do it, you always cut the ends off the ham, and, and that's how we've always made our ham. So why do we do it, Grandma? That's our family tradition. And Grandma says on the phone, well, I'm not really sure. My mother always did it that way. And so let, let me call great-grandma and get back to you. And so now great-grandma at that point is called, and uh, she's now in a nursing home and not making ham anymore. <laughs> and uh, so the grandma asks great-grandma and says, uh, Mom, uh, you know our tradition of always cutting the ends off the ham? And uh, we've been doing this now for generations. Whenever you made Sunday dinner or we had a ham dinner, you cut the ends off. So why did you do that? And Grandma says, my roasting pan was too small. <laughs> Tradition. Our passage today, as we've already seen, that Fiddler on the Roof talking about the importance of tradition. And our passage today are also dealing with the issue of traditions. Jesus, the key verse in our passage today, he says to them in verse 8, if you have your Bibles open, Mark 7, 1 to 23, that Mark read for us. But verse 8, he says to them, you abandon the commandments of God and hold to human traditions. And the Pharisees were there asking these questions in verse 1 and 2. It says that the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. Now, they didn't gather around Jesus for the right reasons. <laughs> they said, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Did you ever meet people who feel it's their role in life to go around and police everybody? Dear Lord, during COVID, I think Dr. Heather Morrison's been dealing with islanders who feel it's their role to go around and police everyone. And you know, it's my, it's my role to watch what everyone else is doing and to tell them what they're doing right and what they're not doing right now. Praise God for Paula that's been the one in charge of our protocols, and that has been important and that's something we need to do. That's not what we're talking about. But it's that person that's not even their role, feels it's their role, to go around policing everyone else, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And as they looked at Jesus' disciples, they concluded that they were clean and Jesus' disciples were unclean according to God. I was challenged this week as I started to prepare for this. I thought of the danger of judgmentalism where I believe that I have it all right and everyone else has it all wrong 
and my way is the right way to do it. And I am also the one who has been given the call to examine everyone else where they are at. God help us. Judgmentalism is what keeps people a mile away from the church. Because they have come into places and have felt that as they sat there, the church is judging them. And so when you meet people and say, would you like to come to church? How many times have people said, why would I go there? Because there have been those people who felt, and I grew up in the church seeing it, who felt it was their role to police everybody. I remember one time Tina was up at our, our, our district family camp. And she's always been a girl who's been very, very modest and very, very careful in the way that she dresses. And praise God for young girls like that. And I remember one time it was hot. It was in the 30s. And the tabernacle was hot and humid. Like we know you've had that weather this week, haven't you? In these last couple of weeks. And so she had a, a sleeveless top on, very wide, you know, not spaghetti strap or anything. And praise God she loves the Lord because she stayed and put up with it. But there were several women at, at camp meeting who felt their role was to police Tina then in her 20s that she didn't have a sleeve on in a hot, hot tabernacle. Tina could have walked away at that point. Praise God she didn't walk away from the faith. But how many people in the church have walked away because people feel instead of me focusing on God and, and worshiping God, it's my role to watch and what everyone else is doing and to police them. You know what's the other danger in that? Is spiritual superiority. Because ultimately it would say that I feel that I'm good. I have it all together. I feel I'm going to move this. I feel I have it all together. I've got it good. So, so you know, I have this superiority uh, complex because somehow my way is the way and everyone else needs to be and do what I think. That's an attitude of righteousness, self-righteousness, superiority. That's what was going on with these Pharisees and scribes as they approached Jesus and all oh, praise God for the questions. Verse 5. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? If I had a dollar for every time somebody in a church said, Pastor, why don't you? Pastor, why don't they? Pastor, why don't we? And I love when the we is used. I've challenged the church board with that, and I've said it many times. The we. Who's the we? Who's the we? Because why don't we as a church have this? Why aren't we doing this ministry? And then when I say, so who's the we? Uh, uh, well, not me. <laughs> Definitely not me. And we used to. You like that one? And I'll say, well, who's the we that used to do that? Well, that was 25 years ago, so I guess they're not here now. <laughs> and so would you like to be a part of that if we did it again? Uh, no, 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 but there's got to be somebody, Pastor, that should be doing that. <laughs> Why don't your disciples? You know what's amazing in this 
is that these guys are so self-righteous and judgmental that they're coming before the living word, the logos, the word of God, and they are questioning him. Think about that. There's Jesus in the flesh, and they are so self-righteous that they are going up to Jesus in the flesh, and they are asking him, why don't your disciples praise God for grace? See, there was a desire for conformity. My way is right. Everyone else's way should conform to my way. And do you know the struggle that we have in the church of Jesus Christ? Even as pastors, we've often talked about that. That can be multiplied by every individual in the church. You all have different convictions and ways of doing it in different traditions. And so as a pastor can have people coming at them constantly, wanting it my way or this way or that way, because we want it our way instead of his way. Of coming under his way. And so there's this desire in the church to be conformed, conformity, right? We all got to look the same, act the same, smell the same. <laughs> and that's why often when you go into churches around the globe where there's been racism and all kinds of issues that we've seen in recent days, that, that the church it's not diverse. It just looks all the same. I've been in churches like that where I've walked in and everybody looks the same. They act the same. And we say, oh, well, we don't have traditions. We're free in the spirit. Just go into some of those churches. And the pastor says a certain word and the hands all go up. It's still traditions. It's still conformity. The church of Jesus Christ that Christ has come to bring is there's unity in the midst of diversity. That's the kingdom of God. There is unity in diversity. We don't all have to conform. We don't all have to act the same way. But we can be unified in Christ and the love of Christ. See, this, this midst of needing conformity that these religious leaders wanted, it is a new form of slavery. It's enslaving everyone. Heaven forbid that you would speak up or want something different. Or something new and fresh as the Spirit is moving. You see, the early church was dealing with this. We called them Judaizers. See, they had received the freedom in Christ, the Gentiles. And they were expressing it. And things were happening in the church. And people were getting saved daily. And then the Judaizers showed up in town. And they're literally saying, well, you can't be a Christian. What do you mean I can't be a Christian? Well, Jesus was a Jew. And you're not a Jew. So you can't be a Christian. He came for the Jews. Oh, let's take you around back church and circumcise you and make you a Jew. So now you can accept Jesus. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Paul says to the church in Galatia 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm them and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So are traditions bad? No. I like this statement. Pastor Mike reminded me of it this week. Now see if you can wrap your mind around this one. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. You get that? Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. It's cutting the ends off the hand and not knowing why you do it. Right? And so tradition itself is not bad. 
is not wrong. We are part of the Wesleyan theology, and Wesley was the founder of Methodism, which is the root of our denomination, our, where we get our roots from. And he had what he called the quadrilateral. We learned that in Bible school, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And the point was, Wesley was very balanced in his day and time. And I want you to think about this as a little four-legged stool right there. Betty uses a four-legged stool. Well, Betty, if one of those legs weren't there, what would happen with your stool? It would fall over. And so this is this quadrilateral that, that Wesley said is so important to our faith and to keep us in balance. And of course, we need the scripture of God. We need the word of God. But God has given you a brain and you need reason. He expects you to use it. But then don't take personal experience out of it. That's what happens with a lot of nominalism and legalism is there's no personal experience. And Wesley says you need to have that personal experience with Jesus Christ. And then we build our faith today on the over 2,000 years of Christendom. That we have our tradition. The church has its tradition. <clears throat> and we build our faith today on those who have gone before us and are now behind us. And so traditions are good if they point us to God. That's the whole point of traditions. Are there these spiritual practices that have been taught in the, in the church for over 2,000 years? Here's an example. Christmas. We know, pretty sure, Christmas, Jesus was not born on December 25th. Now, you might not know that, but as, as, as people who have studied, it's, not, it's the wrong time of the calendar. And it probably wasn't snowing when he was born. I don't think anyone in Jesus' day was dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> but Christmas had become important in the church calendar uh, and as Easter and Good Friday because these are the events of Jesus' life. And we take this time on December 25th to remember that God broke in. Remember, I was just praying for a breakthrough. Well, God broke in. There was a breakthrough on that day. And so we take, as the Church of Jesus Christ now, for years, we take December 25th as the day that we celebrate Christ's birth. God took on flesh and tabernacled among us, pitched his tent. Any of you that like camping? Well, Jesus pitched his tent among sinful men. That's what Christmas is about. Amen. And so traditions are good. Now, if it becomes more about your ham and the roaster and your family and you don't have time for the things of God, then you've missed what that tradition was created for. And it has now become traditionalism. Look how Jesus responded to their question. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands, and you have let go of the commands of God, and are holding on to human traditions. Mark says that these guys have been faking it. They've been frauds. They, they've been acting and playing it out, wearing the mask. I heard somebody share that with me this week as we were sharing our hearts. And I've heard people say that often in the church. And I've seen it in, in opportunities of ministry in years past. Where the kids start to say that, 
that now here, this is rough, but the kids started to say, you know, dad was a board member and dad was a Sunday school teacher, but dad would go home from church and beat my mom into a pulp. You know, my, my parents, when we got into church, we were to be the perfect family. We were to put the mask on. We were to have it all together. But we knew as soon as we left church and the drive home that we didn't. See, it's easy for us to take this that Jesus is speaking to these self-righteous people and it has nothing to do with me. Well, my friends, if we're not careful, we can fake it too until we make it. We can wear the mask. We can pretend and put on this self-righteous, like we put on a jacket or a shirt. And see, we need to understand a little bit what, what the deeper issues are here, because it's confusing for us. Uh, verses 3 to 4, Mark tries to explain what the controversy was all about. He, he's going on about this hand washing. And see, for the Jews, there was God's law, and it was so important, and that's the Ten Commandments and the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. We need to understand today, that is the scripture that Jesus had. Right? That's the scripture that was used. Was the Ten Commandments and the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. And, and so this is what they had. And, and it was important to them. And then in about the 4th, 5th century before Christ, so four or five hundred years before Christ was born, there was a group of people called the elders. The Pharisees were probably a little bit part of it, but was more called the scribes. You know that Jesus says in the New Testament, the scribes. Well, who the scribes were, were the people who loved debate. They were the people who loved to look at all the details. And they literally took the laws of God, and of course people needed help interpreting them, and so they took the time to write thousands upon thousands upon thousands of rules and regulations for everyone to follow. This is what Jesus was up against. And so they, they would not eat unless their hands were ceremonially clean. Now, now, this is what would go on. They, they believed that, that you had to have these big jars of water that were uncontaminated water. And heaven forbid, if that water became contaminated, you couldn't use it. So a fly couldn't even just skip across the top of it. If you remember the wedding, where Jesus turns the water into wine, that's the jars that are outside. That is now turned into wine. That Jesus does that wonderful miracle. And so they would have their hands up and the water would have to pour down. And would pour down their wrists or pour down to their, even their elbows. And look at me, I'm going to be ceremonially clean now. I'm going to wash my hands. And fingers were pointed towards heaven. Then they would have to take their fist. Now this is all oral law in Jesus' day. And they would have to put their fist into one palm. And then their fist into the other palm. And the moment they did that, they did that with unclean hands. So now their hands are defiled again. And so then they would take their hands and their hands would be face down. And people would have to pour the water again. Now I'm ceremonially clean. And I can eat. And so they see that Jesus, his disciples, this isn't about hygiene. This isn't about protocols and making sure we're using hand sanitizer to keep everybody safe. That's not what this is about. 
They actually were so concerned about not becoming contaminated that they would go to the market and they were so upset with being around people and those sinners and those unclean people that when they went home from the market, they would go down and have to immerse their whole body in a bath so that they could be considered ceremonially clean again. And so they were so worried about contamination. And just a sidebar, if we're not careful, the Church of the Nazarene and our message of holiness has been misread that way. That we are holy and we have to keep ourselves holy and therefore we can't be around unholy people. And therefore we need to back up and back out because heaven forbid we would ever become contaminated by the world. How do people get saved? How do the lost get reached? See, it's not about me washing and keeping myself clean. It's the Holy Spirit that cleanses me from within out. And gives me the power that I need to walk in any situation and to be the aroma of Christ and bring Christ with me. And as Pastor Mike said last week, I'm imperfect, but I am empowered. So I can be in a sinful situation and bring the light of Christ. I don't need to sin because of the Holy Spirit within me. Not saying that I run out and look for sinful situations. But if the Holy Spirit is directing you to go to someone, to minister to someone who is caught up in an addiction or is doing things that you don't agree with, go be the light and the love of Christ. I don't stand back and say, oh no, I can't go near them because they're going to contaminate me. My friends, that's not true holiness. Because holiness is brought by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then they had this uh, thing that they were going around doing Corbin. Corbin. Corbin, Corbin, Corbin. I don't know if anybody uses that as a name for their child. I don't know. But the word Corbin was used because when you use the word Corbin, you said that what you had was now dedicated to God. So these guys were so conniving that when they had parents who were in need... And they had the need, to the means to help their parents. Those means now, they would pronounce Corbin over it. So they pronounced, this is dedicated to God. And because it's dedicated to God, oh, I can't help somebody in need. I can't help my parents. Mm -hmm. I'll just say to them, sorry, I've got nothing. Everything I have is dedicated to God, so I've got no way of helping you. And Jesus says, you just broke one of the commandments. Honor thy father. And thy mother. And so Jesus is challenging them on their traditions and all the things that they've been doing. <clears throat> Jesus now accuses them of two religious things that they were doing, as we've already talked about. It is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when people go around play acting. That's what the word actually means in Greek. So they're putting on a show. They're, they're playing to have this self-righteousness and going around. And Jesus says, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. So a legalist might hate his fellow man. Now listen to this. A legalist might hate his fellow man with all his heart. Full of envy and jealousy, concealed bitterness and pride, but as long as he washed his hands the right way, he was okay before God. Oh, the church can make that same mistake. Doesn't matter how I live my life from Monday to Friday, 
Doesn't matter what I'm dabbling into, doesn't matter what I'm watching on that TV screen or that computer, but as long as I'm sitting in church on Sunday, then the Lord knows it's all okay. We need to be careful, my friends, that Jesus knew when they were doing all this outward stuff and it was just tradition. And so he also knows when we're just faking it until we make it. Ultimately, the question is, how is one's heart towards God? How is one's heart towards your fellow man? I have met so many people who somehow feel it's okay to come in the Church of Jesus Christ and have a heart for God, but I have no heart for anyone else that has hurt me. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. See, that's not the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ touches my heart and my relationship with God is made right. But now my relationships are to be made right with everyone I meet. Not just the people I like. Not just the people who look like me, act like me, smell like me. But everyone. And so Jesus comes with this radical message in the midst of all this traditionalism. And he comes with this radical message that it's about the heart. It's always been about the heart. Even in God's Old Testament, the prophets have spoken about that. The heart. God wants your heart. As even Psalm 51, Pastor Mike read at the beginning. It's not sacrifice that he wants if it's not coming from a pure heart. And so God is concerned with the heart. It's the internal. And as he touches the internal, it should come out into the external. And so we don't stop gathering together like it is common for others to do with the brethren. There's, there's things that God has given us, wonderful things and even traditions, so that our faith can be made alive. So we can encourage one another and spur one another on in the Lord. But it starts here. That's where it starts. The heart. It's always been about, about a relationship with the Lord, with Jesus. Then he says something so radical. Imagine now you're a Jew. Imagine all your life you heard about, don't touch this and don't touch that. Don't eat this and don't eat that. And Jesus says, nothing outside a man can make him unclean. <laughs> By going into him, rather it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. I remember one time I was in a ladies' Bible study many, many years ago. And in that ladies' Bible study, the question came up. And there was a young mom that had been in the church a lot of years. And the question come, came up, what makes you a Christian? And she said, well, I go to church on Sunday. Okay. Well, I read my Bible. Good. I, 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 uh, I, well, at night, I, I say my prayers with the children before I put them to bed. Good. I, I, I've not done anything wrong. I've not hurt anyone. I try to live a good life. And I finally had to say, but you've missed the point. Those are all good things. But where's your heart? When somebody says to you, what makes you a Christian? It shouldn't be about what we do. It should be about a relationship. Mm -hmm. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.
Christ, my Savior and Lord. That's what makes us a believer in Jesus Christ. The rest follows that because I love him. I love what he loves. And so I just am challenged with this passage today that Jesus is so radical here. He's trying to tell us it's not those things that, that from the outside that you're taking in that's going to defile you and so much. It's what is coming out of your heart. I remember Kenny got such a kick out of this quite a while back when we kept saying it. What is in the well comes up in the boat. What is in the well comes up in the bucket. And so we see here this traditional aspect of faith that Jesus is up against that looks at all the outside things to do and it's about how I behave and that I follow the list of rules and I follow the traditions of people and it is these men, these scribes who got down and explained it all out and told me what I had to do but I don't know why I do it but I just do it and I'm trying to improve myself. I'm trying to become a better person. And it's religion. Jesus comes in with this new radical idea that was always God's idea. That it is in this inside where it starts. It's the heart of man. And it's the heart of man that God gives you a new heart that changes your motives. That you want to please God instead of pleasing the flesh. And you go to scripture and the word of God as your foundation. And God, through his Holy Spirit, reveals to you daily how you should live your life uprightly before him. And it is about total transformation of person inside out. And I want to live a life that pleases God. This is what this passage is about. This is what this passage is dealing with. Oh, my friends, you can be zealous. These Pharisees and scribes were very zealous men. But Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he told you it was all rubbish. Because just being zealous is not enough if you're zealous in the wrong way. We need to be zealous to have our hearts before the Lord. And so Jesus tells us the list of those things that defile. And he says it's not the food that you take in that defiles you. He says, ultimately, it is the evil that will come out of you. And I like what the message says in verse 20 to 23. He went on, it's what comes out of a person that pollutes. Obscenities, lusts, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, depravity, deceptive dealings, carousing, that's partying, mean looks, slander, arrogance, foolishness. And this is the way that the message puts it. And all these are vomit. From the heart. Vomit from the heart. And he says, there's your source of pollution. So Jesus, this morning, as we start to bring this to a close, is asking us, as the church of Jesus Christ, examine your heart. Where's your heart? Are you basing your faith and your religion on all the outwards you do? Or is there something amazing, wonderful, internal that God has done. Jesus is not against external things. He's not saying those are irrelevant. He's not saying that eternal things are good while external are wrong. He's saying it's not either good or bad, but what has to happen is it's not just about physical actions. This faith journey starts from the inside out. 
And where people's hearts are poisoned, where motivations are wrong, that is where the true pollution is. What is needed is purity of heart. What is needed is purity of motives. What is needed, the old church would call it, a good cleansing. <laughs> Has your heart been cleansed? Have you been picking up, maybe it was cleansed many times, but there's been things going on in your life that, and things going on during COVID that has made you get that sour spirit again and get angry and frustrated and you want to go around policing everybody and looking at what everybody else is doing. You need a heart cleansing. That's what we need. Pastors need heart cleansings because it's so easy to look at what everybody's doing and what they're not doing. And said, Lord, I just pray for them and do something in my heart. And like, that's when revival starts, my friends. When we start looking at our own hearts and ask God to do something new and fresh in us. Theology 101. Well, what an experience that was. Taberly, you're going to have a lot of fun, honey. We sold everything. We went off to Bible school with our two children at that time in Büsingen, West Germany, sat in a class with people from all different countries, and as we sat there, we had this great theologian, it was his first year teaching, and we were his first students, Dr. McCormick, fantastic teacher, but the first question he asks is, so, what do you believe? Tell me what the Christian faith is about. And we just, blah, 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 blah. and he just challenged us. And he said, so that's it? How do you know that? Um, uh, well, I went to church all my life. Um, Sunday school teacher said it's that way. Um, the pastor told me that. My grandmother told me that at her knee. He said, how do you know this? And so we were all these smart students starting off that had it all figured out, sitting in a class with our mouths wide open, being challenged in our faith. Well, see, conformity would say, run home to mama, right? Just, just put, the, put the blankets over your head and not deal with this. And some people are happy with that. That's fine. But we were being called to be the leaders of the church who would have to deal with every scenario and every situation. And we had to be trained, to be prepared. And you know what it was that we needed to do? We needed to formulate our own theology based on the word of God and what God was telling us. I want to say, why do I say that story? I believe that's for every believer. I think every believer, if we're not careful, we have conformed and conformed, and we do what we do just like the man said at the beginning of traditions. Why do we do that? Well, I don't know, but I just do it. Because I want to say to you today that if your faith has not been tested, if your faith has not been examined, if your faith has not been formulated and looked at and worked through, then it really isn't faith, my friend. That's what Jesus is wanting to do in these men's hearts and lives. This is what Jesus is wanting to do in all of our hearts and lives. Many of us have been raised in the church and praise God. Many of us have never gone out into the world and wasted our lives like some of us have. Praise God. You're not meant to do that. That's God's will and purpose for you. Amen. We don't want any to walk, fall away. That's his aim. That should be our church aim. But there comes a place where it's no longer mom's faith 
grandma's faith, the Sunday school teacher's faith, the worship leader's faith. It has to become your faith. And you have to do the hard work to formulate it and ask the hard questions and allow God to do that work on your heart. That you're not just doing the externals because you've always done it that way, but now this has given life and freedom and liberty because God has touched your heart and it is breathing life into everything you do. Prayer, my friends, is not a burden. Prayer is a joy and a delight because my spirit is set on fire every time I get on my knees and I get to pray for people. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Going to ask the worship team to come. I hope and pray today that you are not basing your standing with God by what you do. I hope and pray today that your standing with God is in a good place because of your heart is on fire for him, and he knows that you love him with all your heart. Oh, no, as Pastor Mike said last week, you're not perfect. You might be imperfect, but you're empowered. Because you have given your heart to the Lord, and you have asked him to cleanse you, and to make you right and holy. And so as he turns your heart on fire for him, the externals flow from a place of wholeness and wellness. Instead of just following a list of rules, of do's, and don'ts. Do you know what breaks my heart as I speak to people in and out of the church? When people think that we come together and they're saying to me, Well, Pastor, I should be there. I think we had that as a phrase a while back, too. I, I don't have to, I get to. It's not about whether you should be here or not here. It's about is the Holy Spirit calling you there and want you there because your heart has been set on fire. And so let's, let's move out of the shoulds and let's look at what God would have us do as we move into this new fall and this coming out the other side of the pandemic. That God would have us do what he would have us do for him and his purposes and glory. And my friends, that's where revival comes. I'm going to ask you to stand, and if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I have taken two slides from Psalm 51, that this is King David. Remember now, this is good people, godly people. King David was a man after God's own heart, and he messed up, and he came to a place where his heart needed cleansing, and that's what kept him as a good, godly man. Because he knew when he had messed up. And he knew that God was the source of his cleansing. And so if this is you this morning, and this is your heart, and you want to say, Lord, here's my heart again. I want it to be your heart. I want it to be purified. Uh, I want to keep short accounts with you. Say with me this prayer of David, these two slides, these first couple verses, and later on in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. And may it be so. Amen and amen. Bless you, Lord. Yes, Lord.